Welcome to the Success Inspired Podcast, a business and personal development podcast to help you accomplish more in life and realize your true potential. And now here is your host, Vit Muller. Hello, everybody. Uh, this is Vit from Success Inspired Podcast again. And today we've got a big one. We're going to talk about adventure. We're going to talk about um, storytelling and PR. Let me introduce you to my guest today. My guest today is a lover of travel who wanted to escape the 9 to 5 rat race of a corporate job. She knew there was more in life, so she became a sailor and traveled the world across the oceans and became a freelance writer. Fast forward now, a successful owner of a PR and communications agency who helps adventurers and travel-based individuals and companies to build their empires to the next level so they can maintain their lifestyle. From international press coverage to rapid growth of social followers and impressions, she has the expertise and the necessary relationships in the adventure, sailing and travel sector to help you build credibility, audience and take on some sponsorship offers. Please welcome to the show, Erin Carey. Hi, Pete. How are you? Hi, Carrie. Did I say your last name right? Yeah, Aaron Carey. Yep, it's a bit of a mouthful when you say it fast, so I like to Aaron Carey. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Wow, so you've done a lot of things from, I mean, I was checking a LinkedIn from working in defense to not, you know, having this PR agency, and then there was something in between that happened as well, right, to sort of have that Yeah, segment. that's right. There was a, a catalyst in between that made it all happen because if had that have not happened, maybe I would still be working in defence. I'd like to think not. But yeah, we decided to take a sabbatical, I guess you would call it, and it completely changed our lives. What led to that? So the sabbatical, you're referring to that sailing sailing across the ocean for... That's right. Yeah. We were, we are still, I guess, your regular family in the suburbs. I've got a husband and three boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the time, they were like probably one, five and six, something around that ages, those ages. And uh, we were just watching Netflix one night because we wrote, both worked full time, lived a really normal life. And somehow we stumbled upon Laura Decker's documentary and it was about the story of her sailing around the world, Maiden Trip, I believe it's called. And yeah, we, I wasn't even intending on watching it. We're not sailors. We, my dad was a sailor of dinghies on an inland lake in Wagga Wagga in New South Wales. And I got roped along and had to go with him to learn to sail classes. And I remember the, all the cool kids were in the speedboats and I was mortified to be having to be in dad's daggy little sailboat. <laughs> Sorry, dad. <laughs> and it, it, yeah, look, it, it wasn't because of that. Well, maybe it was subconsciously, but I didn't enjoy sailing when I was a child. So I certainly never thought when I grow up, I'm going to go sail around the world. And we hadn't, I hadn't sailed for a good probably 30 years when we sat down that night to watch Laura Decker's documentary. But something in that documentary just completely spoke to both my husband and I, which is pretty strange that, you know, something would really resonate with the both of us because it would make sense that maybe one person would watch that probably usually the husband that would go, I want to go sail around the world. And the wife would be like, yeah, no, thanks. But we both 
I just remember the credits rolling. We both kind of turned to each other and just went, wow, let's do it. <laughs> it was so random. So we moved to the, to the computer and we Googled families sailing around the world because honestly, we didn't think it was possible. I mean, you can't take little kids on a boat across an ocean, can you? That just sounds crazy. And then we realized that there were people, plenty of people out there doing it. And then we came across YouTube channels of people that were doing it. I think the first one we found was SV Delos. And after that, we were hooked. I think it was within a couple of weeks that we had said to ourselves, we're doing this. And then wow. we, t- we told our families That's soon crazy. after. And, and then, yeah, two years and two months later, we flew out of Australia on one-way tickets and went and looked at us or our boat for the very first time and, yeah, did it. Wow. Now going back to the documentary, what was that one aspect of it that really got your attention? I've always loved travel. So I think just having the freedom to take your home with you. So really when you think about it, sailing is the best way to travel because you get to see different parts of the world while sleeping in your own bed every night. And the boat really, it's your home. It becomes your home and it feels the same way as living in a house does. All of your stuff's in there and it's comfortable and it's, you know, warm and it's, it's, you know, it's obviously a lot more exciting than living in a house and can be more, a lot more challenging as well. But just being able to take your home with you while traveling the world is awesome. And having kids, that was a big kind of, draw card we don't have to drag them around with suitcases and through airports and sleeping in different hotels every night they slept in their own bed they were as happy as larry they as far as they were concerned that was just normal life and that's what everyone did (laughs) so yeah i think it was the travel aspect but also just there's something so serene and we still find this when we watch youtube sailing videos because that's like a whole huge niche and there's a thousand or more of different channels filming Mm. themselves and their journeys around the world but there's something so relaxing about watching them and the sunsets and you know the the water and quite often they do diving and yeah so it was just something I just remember the mixture of the sunsets and the freedom and the adventure that's that's what we were I think hooked with and I can imagine much less distractions of what we have in our regular in our city city yeah. lives, right? Yeah, exactly. And look, I would be like the thought something was already bubbling inside me because I was already kind of feeling a bit disillusioned with there's got to be more than this to life. There's got to be, you know, a reason why we're working so hard every day to pay off a mortgage for a house that we really don't spend much time in. And uh, like dropping my child off childcare every morning is crying for me. And then I don't see him again for like another nine hours. It just doesn't feel right. And when I saw this and, you know, started researching and realizing that it's actually, it seems like a crazy Uh, dream and unattainable for most people once Mm. you get the boat which costs a lot less than a house once you get that boat it's it's about a third of the cost of what it costs to live on land to live comfortably on a boat and travel the world 
What so, about what about like maintenance? I, I've heard like boat boat um, has quite high maintenance costs. It, they do look. They break all the time. That's just boats, and that's just normal. But uh, say you live on one hundred fifty thousand on land, you can probably live on about fifty thousand on a boat. Obviously, that's very rough calculation, but. Mm. We managed to do it for about fifty to sixty thousand. We did because we bought our boat. We do what's called kind of like a refit, and we spent twenty five thousand on it straight up. So if we didn't take that into consideration, we spent about fifty fifty five thousand in each year, which sounds like a lot of money because obviously we weren't working for some of that, so we had to have that saved up. But and- it's cheaper than living on land. And this is for the boat. Just when you say like spending 55 grand, that was for spending on the boat. That or- was just life. That was eating. Oh, okay. Your living yeah, expenses. Stuff. Living expenses, what it costs to live on the boat. And then that did include maintenance, but it didn't include the initial money that we put into the boat. And then obviously not the boat purchase costs either. Yeah. Now let's go back. Cause I, I, I'm sure a lot of listeners are right now. They're like, okay, well, how does, how does a regular family in Adelaide, you know, saw a documentary, gets inspired to to try this lifestyle as well, have never sailed before? Where do you start? How how break that journey down a little bit for us? Yeah. So I think for us, we realized that the the main obstacle was going to be money. We were like, you can do all of the training and the practicing and learning to sail and everything, but if you don't have enough money to go then you can't go so we kind of worked backwards we figured out how much do we need to do this trip so it took a lot of research and a lot of networking and connecting with people asking questions I mean I don't know how many boats I would have looked at online during that time you know thousands but eventually we kind of came up with a figure with okay we want this kind of boat it's going to cost us x amount of money so I think we paid 90,000 US for our boat and that was for an older boat, um, but she was a solid blue water boat. So it was, she wasn't going to be the latest and greatest, but she was solid and safe and, you know, nice and big, good enough for what we needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we figured out the amount of spending money that we would need roughly just by asking lots of different people, doing lots of different research. So then once we had this number, it was Look, it seemed absolutely crazy. We'd never saved anywhere near that amount of money before. But somehow when you have your sights set on this, you know, amazing journey and you're really excited and passionate about something, the universe just kind of conspires to make it work. And so many different opportunities arose during those couple of years. But we just did everything we could. We hosted international uni students in our home. At some some stages we had two different university students, international university students living with us and our children were leaving, like sleeping in the lounge room. We'd set up like a makeshift bedroom in there. Like we were full on. We, we made sacrifices that probably plenty of people wouldn't have been willing to do, but we knew that it would be worth it because we were like going to experience something that most people wouldn't get to experience. And it, it totally was worth it. And we would definitely do it again. Mm. The big takeaway from this is that when you really want to achieve something, you, you have to make those sacrifices, but then it's possible and you've made it happen. 
like you said, yeah. initially you looked at that number and it was like, wow, that's a lot of money. Yeah. I don't think you can do it, but you did it. Yeah, we did it. And I still kind of pinch myself that we did pull it off and we've been and gone and we're back now and nothing went wrong and everything worked out amazingly well. We, all the kids came back alive. So that's a positive. Yeah. So it, it was awesome. Now that was, you were like budgeting for, for how long? For a year trip? So in- two, two years we wanted to last. Okay. Yeah. So two years, boat expenses to get there, to buy the boat, your living expenses, which I'm interested to know about. Mm-hmm. So two years, two years budget. What was that? What was that number like? If you don't mind me asking. Um, good question. When we arrived, we arrived with $110,000 in our bank account. So for little old normal people that was just like oh my god we've got $110,000 in our bank account that's crazy but we're also really sensible we weren't like you know (laughs) going and spending and buying everything we always were always on a budget because we knew that the amount we saved was not going to be for a luxurious lifestyle it was going to be for a pretty modest you know maybe eating out for burgers or you know, chicken and chips <clears throat> every couple of weeks, hiring a car once every blue moon type thing. It, it was not a going on tours every week or anything like that. It was mm-hmm. basically, and it wasn't a holiday. It, it was an experience to live a different lifestyle in different locations. So it's also an important tip is the kind of lifestyle that you live on land is probably going to be what you will live on the boat because you can't fool yourself to think that if you live comfortably on land with going out for dinner every week and buying all the latest and greatest tech and everything that you're going to move to a boat and not want to do that. And so that's just also another good thing for people to keep in mind is usually you got a standard and that's the standard that you maintain on the boat, even if you are hoping that you'll do, do it for less. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we live a pretty modest lifestyle in Adelaide so we kind of just continued to live the way we lived over over on the boat and when we so yeah when we arrived we had that 110,000 in the bank and it it went down faster than we expected so by about the 12 month mark I was like well we need to we need to figure something out because we're not going to last another year Mm. and that's just shows that living on a boat does cost more than you expect basically living on a boat costs everything that you have (laughs) and whether that's like a tiny amount or a large amount people always seem to make it work they spend every cent they have and then a little bit more so yeah what were some of the expenses that obviously like you said living on the boat similar to like living on the land like you know you're you're eating your breakfast with regular meals or cooking so Mm. so your groceries also, I'm interested to know how do you go about groceries because I would imagine if you're on a boat, there's a you might have a more extended period of the day of the of the time that you're not accessing you know fresh <laughs> fresh produce. But what did I was gonna say? Well, yeah. So what what are some of the other expenses that people wouldn't think to consider? Well, we need to pay for fuel. So <clears throat> in order to run our generator, which runs off, uh, which our water maker runs off. So we have a water maker on the boat, which 
desalinate salt water and turns it into fresh water, which is okay, really cool. Pretty handy. <laughs> yeah. But to run that, we need to run our generator. So to run the generator, it's an engine that needs fuel. So mm. I think to fill up our boat was like 600 US dollars, like crazy. It's not like the old $60 that you fill up your car with back home, but that would also last about, you know, five, six months. So okay. there's that expense there were things that would just break. And there's a saying in the boat, in the boating world that boat, B-O-A-T, stands for bring out another thousand. Yeah, that works. <laughs> bring out another thousand. <laughs> Basically, every time something broke on a boat, you'd be pretty much guaranteed it'd cost you a thousand bucks. Which, you know, in land life, that's just crazy. That's a huge amount of money. And it is a huge amount of money. But even with all of those expenses, it still costs less than land because, I mean, we rented out our home so that mortgage was taken care of with rent. But I don't know, since coming home, we were like, oh my God, living on land, it costs so much. You don't have a car, so you don't have any of the car expenses. You don't have you know, the red of fuels and all that kind of thing or insurance. Insurance is a huge thing that in, on land you've got health insurance, car insurance, you know, like house insurance, contents insurance. We didn't have any of that. Well, we kind of did, but let's um, say that that was all kind of covered by the rent. Take that out of the picture because not everyone will have a house and a lot of people sell their house to go and do it. We didn't, we also didn't get sick very often. And since coming back to land and it was the same before we went away, we were sick all the time and I don't know if it's because we've got young kids or it's just the way that life is back here, the rushing and <clears throat> the stress, but you know, there's always doctor's appointments to go to. My son's going to the naturopath at the moment. So, you know, all the, the potions and pills that you fork out for that. Uh, so there was all the health savings that we didn't have. We had boat insurance obviously, but that was just like a one-off payment. So there's just, yeah, it just seemed like life was simple, simpler in lots of ways, including financially. And even though, yeah, bring out another thousand every time something broke, you were just like, oh my God, it still ended up costing less than, than living back on land. And so no regrets? No regrets at all, because it was, it was, it made us feel like we were really alive and one thing we've noticed and that we've we're lucky in that we've been able to really enjoy the time away and now we've come back not knowing what we're doing we still own our boat but because of coronavirus we it's on the other side of the world and we can't get to her we were intending on coming back anyway to restock the kitty and to see our family and friends and to have a bit of a break i mean living on a boat is hard and it's quite normal to after you know a couple of years feel like you need a bit of a break so we came back to land life with the intention of staying here for six months Mm -hmm. and now we can't get back to our boat so we we had the initial kind of time on land where we're all like we don't miss the boat at all kids are like we hate the boat we don't want to go back to the boat (laughs) and my husband like we've got a shed and everything so he's just been loving being outside and being in his shed and having space. Cause as you imagine uh, a manly man who loves his tools, who literally had like a locker, the, you know, the yeah. size of a five year old to fit, to put all his stuff in. That was hard for him. But 
we've also now been here for about 10 months and our the initial kind of honeymoon period of being back home has worn off and all five of us desperately missing boat life and yeah we're we're gonna go back for sure we've just got to figure out how now sailing across the ocean you know in my head i see those you know crazy you know scary movies with you know huge waves and massive storms and you know people barely making it or you know or capsizing mm-hmm. have you experienced any anything like that no would you believe that i never once felt scared or endangered the whole time we were living on a boat and <clears throat> so with weather these days there's so many tools that sailors can use that really takes a lot of the danger out of sailing obviously you know i preface that with the fact that we're we're very sensible and risk averse and we i mean to other people we might seem like we take risks but everything's very calculated my husband's a safety inspector so we're not reckless and we did a lot of research and preparation before we crossed the ocean but we also employed the help of a weather router who basically we had a satellite phone and every day he would twice a day contact us and send us the weather and he'd send us waypoints which we would then type into our chart plotter and basically we'd just be kind of like doing a dot to dot across the ocean we'd follow the dots knowing that he was taking us around any weather systems and kept us safe basically so excuse me with technology these days it's really yeah quite safe and you can avoid most bad weather so and i think people think that sailing like once you get to the middle of the ocean it's going to be different to being on the edge of the ocean or yeah but it's the same I, i remember thinking because we had really good weather and that's another thing you do. You go in the right season. So you can't just sail across the Atlantic Ocean. And we went west to east, which is <clears throat> a little bit more challenging and not as many people go west to east. Uh, but so we went from the Caribbean across to the Azores, which are these tiny little islands, <clears throat> basically about, I think, 900 miles off the coast of Portugal. Mm-hmm. so they're yeah they're portuguese islands and they are like paradise they're the most beautiful islands you'll ever see in your life rolling green hills and like european villages cobbled stones and churches and like the fattest healthiest cows you've ever seen just wow. paradise but anyway yeah we were crossing that way at, in the exact right season so we did all of our research looked at you can get charts that tell you the weather, the weather and weather patterns for the last 100 years. And mm-hmm. so, you know, you're pretty certain that you're going to be okay weather-wise. And then you add in the weather router who's going to direct you safely across in, you know, the right way combined with those things. It's yeah. I remember thinking that um, looking out and going, I could be literally on a lake right now. The ocean was flat and calm and sun was shining and you know there's no land anywhere in sight we were probably in the middle of the atlantic ocean and hundreds and hundreds of miles from land either either side but you wouldn't have known it so yeah it's strange there were 
towards the end of the passage, we had a few hairy kind of days where the wind built up. We had a few squalls and there was a, a low pressure system coming towards us. And I remember getting a text one morning from our weather router saying, we need to get you into Horta now. And, and, and we're just like, shit. So we, you know, turn on the engine and went full steam ahead because we were now racing against beating this low pressure system that was going to come and, you know, bring a storm with it. Mm. And the seeds grew to about three meters, but they're not, you know, in this instance, they weren't break breaking waves and it's not like you really feel or you do feel it, but your boat kind of rises up and then it, rides on the top of the wave and then it kind of goes back down. So you might be okay. you're rising like, you know, 12, three meters. So whatever that is in feet into the air, yeah. but it doesn't feel like that. And our boat had also crossed the Atlantic seven times before. So not with us, but with its previous owners. So it's been we had, tested. yeah, we had faith in her. We felt safe for mm. sure. Yeah. They kind of become like a family member in a way. <laughs> So none, none of those crazy big waves that are about to break and fall on you. None of that. No, none of that. Yeah. Excellent. Wow. So that's amazing. That's a, and the lifestyle that's very actually appealing to, to me and I believe to a, a lot of listeners. So listening to your story, like how, you know, you've done it and you, know, you didn't really had any prior experience with, I mean, with a bit of sailing, but uh, just just to show that anybody can do it. So if anybody feels inspired by listening to your story right now, they can now go and do it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We're a regular family. I mean, what my husband had going for him is that he's handy. So, you know, it will make life a lot easier if you are a handy person because you have to, unless you're loaded, uh, you have to fix everything yourself. So if you're in the middle of the ocean and your engine stops working, you need to figure out how to solve the problem. You need to have some skills, yeah. Yeah, so you've got to have some hand skills or you just have to be really, really determined and figure it out and learn how to do everything. So it can be done. There are, there are plenty of women who are single-handing, which means being living on the boat, sailing the boat by themselves. There are plenty of women out there doing it by themselves and I just think, wow, they're amazing. And, you know, I, the first thing I think is I couldn't do that. But then I'm like, you know what? I probably could. I would just have a lot to learn. But, yeah, and it really, if you want to do it, you'll figure a way. Mm. And you can turn it into an interesting lifestyle business as well, right? Like I've got a friend who I've met when I was living in Greece back when I was like 17. I was doing my apprenticeship as a, as a chef there, as I became a cook there. And it was a privately owned hotel on one of the small islands, sorry, more, what do you call it, Kalkidiki, the middle, the bit of the Greece. Anyway, it was a small family-owned hotel, which mostly had German tourists, German guests staying, and they had private beach. And there was a sailing boat uh, that was owned by... Um, somebody who wasn't really affiliated with the, with the hotel, but had a deal to be able to stay there. And he just left on the boat. And mm. He was just him and his dog. And it was obviously Mediterranean Sea. And, and the way he made money, he would just take the tourists for little trips, you know, every, every other day. He would mm -hmm. make enough money to you know, pay, pay his expenses and make a bit of money. Yeah. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, that, that, was his, that was his home. That's what he did. And depending on the season, he moved to, you know, different coasts you know maybe down to africa you know during the you know winter season and that's what it yeah. is so 
Absolutely. There are a lot of ways to make money while sailing. And I think that is probably the secret to success if you want to make this like a long-term thing and not do what we did and have it as a sabbatical, even though I did figure out a way to make money uh, towards the end. And that's what we'll use and talk about that afterwards. That's what we use to go back to the boat next time. But uh, I now have clients who are all doing similar things. So sailing, sailing wild side, they're a charter boat. And so they're a couple that live on their beautiful catamaran in the Caribbean and it, the, the boat is their home. And so they're owner operated, which means that guests come aboard their boat and then they take them on this you know, awesome adventure for a week or two around the Caribbean. And then I've got another client called Ocean Passages. They're a young, really <clears throat> inspirational couple who have created a business out of teaching people how to sail, but not just like learn to sail lessons. They're running full on offshore sailing expeditions where they take people across oceans and on, you know, really cool adventures. And cause you know, the thought of crossing an ocean to some people, if you're into that kind of thing is really like, for me, it was a bucket list item. It wasn't before I knew about it, but once I, once we started researching it, I was like, I just want to cross an ocean. Mm-hmm. So we could have just sailed up and down the Caribbean Island chain and that would have been completely amazing. But we just, both of us felt that we really wanted to cross an ocean. So it is something that a lot of people just want to do. Quite often professionals who have been really successful in their professional career want to test themselves in because it takes quite a lot of mental ability I guess or whatever to cross an ocean it's whilst it takes skill it's also you know you're dealing with up to 20 days of not stepping foot on land not leaving the boat it's quite challenging so yeah Nathan and Vivian of Ocean Passages have figured out a way to make money by teaching these offshore passages and also by delivering people's boats that's another thing that you can do is Um, get your captain's license and deliver people's boats around the world and that way uh, you're living on the water you're getting paid to go sailing so yeah there definitely are some pretty cool things out there especially for you know people that haven't yet had children if you just want to have an adventure before while you're young some cool things you can do an interesting one would be who do you pay the taxes to because if you're like on the ocean yeah, <laughs> I, I pay everything back to Australia. So you just make the commitment to one country. Is that how it works? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I but think legally, would you have is, to? I think so. Based think on, okay, based on citizenship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. But, you know, don't quote me on that. <laughs> I'm definitely <laughs> not a, an accountant. But yeah, that's what I've been doing. So fast forward, based on this experience and based on the fact that you kind of wanted to escape that 95 job that you had with defense which we didn't really talk about but i know that you've then looked at how can you continue i guess living this lifestyle right so let's mm. let's talk about your business right now so mm. you've, you've launched rom generation mm-hmm. a couple of years back how's that been going it's great honestly i never thought that i would find a job that i, I would say that i I loved I just didn't believe that that was true the people that said they loved their jobs I didn't believe them because I couldn't see how you could love a job what did you do there what was that job that you did at defense so I I was a security advisor basically I would interview potential candidates that were going to be working in defense or being contracted to defense 
and I would assess whether or not they were honest and reliable and trustworthy and whether or not we could trust them to give them classified information basically. So Mm -hmm. I learned a lot about communication and being able to get to the crux of a story and to know when people are flying, withholding information so it was like an interesting job and I certainly heard a lot of crazy stories over the years, but it, it was just a job, you know, and that's fine. I don't think, you know, that everyone at every point in their life can find what they love, but I feel lucky that I have and it, it was through going on our adventure that I did and it seems like really cliche, but it honestly it was life changing because I it, how it all started was that I think I mentioned before we left we were watching these YouTube channels and SV Delos was our favorite channel and uh, they were like two brothers and their partners sailing around the world and they would you know have different crew members on and they just get into adventures everywhere they went and we were hooked. It was like every night we just binge watch and we watched all of their videos. They have like 400 or more videos. And so when we arrived in the Caribbean, it just happened out of the whole world. SV Delos were also in Grenada, the same Island that we were on. And you know, that's a huge coincidence in itself. And so I was looking out for them everywhere. (laughs) Every time I went to the supermarket, I was like, oh, we've got to bump into them. This is a small island. And, yeah, as as it happens, they were at the supermarket one day when we were there and, uh, you know, pushed the kids forward. I'm like, go and say hello. I'm like, no, mum, you go and say hello. So anyway, I filled (laughs) up the courage and went and said hi. And, you know, they were just as nice as they were in their video, amazing. Brady gave me his phone number and said, you know, let's catch up and come over to our boat if you need anything. They're really nice. And so we kind of became, you know, acquaintances, I suppose. Every In the sailing community, everyone is amazing. And I know that that sounds hard to believe, but it's for some reason put people on a boat out there together and it's nothing like living on land. And that's another thing I've really noticed back here is the lack of connection and everyone is so busy and you're all just, you know, and I'm the same back here. It's hard to be involved in other people's lives because your own life is so busy and complicated and you've got so much to do. You just really have to look out for yourself back here. Whereas on a boat, it's so social and everyone is just so lovely and friendly and, you know, you don't have to plan a catch up months in advance. You might have a catch up that night and you've literally just mm. met them that day and you're like best friends straight away. It's, it's really weird. It's like this weird kind of twilight zone. Anyway, so we became friends with Delos and they, as they sailed up the island chain, we were also sailing up the island chain. So we kept bumping into them. And by about the 12 month mark, I had figured out that we were, going to run out of money sooner rather than rather than later and I decided like I racked my brain what skills do I have what can I do to earn money out here and I remember I kept saying oh it can't be that hard we don't even need that much money like you know you can think about what you would settle to earn at home everyone's kind of got a limit you know I wouldn't work for less than x amount of dollars that amount on a boat was way less. It's like, I would be happy earning 30 grand a year. I just need to figure something out. It can't be that hard. Mm. 
And the one thing that I was doing was keeping a Facebook page uh, sailing to Rome and I'd built all these followers and they kept telling me, you know, we love your writing. You should write a book. You should get into writing. I was like, well, you know, I never thought of myself as being good enough to be a writer. I'm a terrible speller, which is quite funny now because my son is also a terrible speller. And I say to him, honey, I'm getting paid as a writer. So don't stress. Okay. You'll, you'll get there. So I started writing and the thing that I really loved writing about was sharing the stories of the amazing people we were meeting along the way, because there really were so many amazing people. It almost felt like every boat that you met, their story was just amazing. And I guess because to get there, it's, it's hard. And if you've made it out there, you usually have a story. And I got assigned a story to go and interview SV Delos for one of the Caribbean like newspapers that I was writing for, Caribbean magazine called the Caribbean Compass. And so I got to go aboard their boat and, you know, sit down with them for a few hours. And like, that was, it was like meeting movie stars. And I know that that sounds weird, but we weren't into movie stars or anything. So they were kind of like our idols <laughs> and, yeah to meet them it was yeah um, I took my husband along I'm like just come and take notes or something you've got to come with me and he was like loving it and we're both nervous and you know interviewing them and they were just so down to earth and so nice exactly like they are in their videos it was a real pinch yourself moment because to think like we sat there so many nights and watched these guys on this TV screen and we were now meeting them and then I'm doing an interview and writing about them. And then I did a couple more articles also that involved them. So but involved me having to, you know, email back and forth and chat and get photos from them. And we kind of developed a relationship and I guess they saw that, I don't know, they saw something in me and they asked if I would do some work for them because the one thing that I had noticed through writing these articles and interviewing different YouTube channels was how busy they were and completely overwhelmed with <clears throat> not only filming, but editing, which can literally take 50 hours a week. And that's just to put together one half hour video mm. and then add in social media and, you know, marketing and everything else on top of that. It's a lot of work. And they were also meant to be enjoying themselves out there because if they they're not what have they got to really film and show the world so they so they asked me to do a bit of work for them and I remember getting the email and just like reading it out of my husband and thinking is this real like oh my god this is a dream come true <laughs> it's so weird now because you know I've worked with them for over a year now but yeah it really was a dream come true that they would ask me to help them. These are like my idols. And so it, it just went from there. And then what but kind of started out as writing became me trying to pitch their articles to other magazines, mm -hmm. which then turned into me, me uh, doing PR and I, I got more clients and I've, done all of the work and the research and you know the courses and, <clears throat> and got a really awesome coach and now I've got my own PR agency and they're like my niche and still my 
my biggest clients, but I've got plenty of others now as well who are not only just YouTubers, but also authors and charter boat companies and the sailing expedition companies and adventurers, people that basically, if you're living an inspirational lifestyle or you've got a product that enables an inspirational lifestyle, so like a sailing brand or a marine brand or a marine expert or a mission-driven organisation, so something that's inspirational, I I would love to work with those kind of people because I I feel like I was inspired to live life differently because of things you know people like that and I want to help other people to not only share their story but inspire others so that they can see that there are different ways to living and that you know we don't need to all just do the nine to five even though that's what everyone else is doing and it it seems really scary to leave that, there is a lot of opportunities out there if you are game enough to do that. So Mm. I just want to share those stories around. I love it. I love it. And the key takeaway from everything that you said today is that, like you said, if, if anybody feels inspired in doing this but might feel a bit scared or that sort of stuff, you don't have to be because... I guess, listening to your story, you've kind of done it in a safe way as well. You didn't just decide to quit your job and then just sort of trying to make it happen. Mm. You've carefully planned it. You've re- you know figured out how much money you need to save. You worked hard. You made, you made it happen so that you could save that money. So I think anybody that's working that nine to five job and has that income, you know, it's just a matter of putting a little bit of money aside every single week mm-hmm. towards your dream job. Now, what I also like about this is that you've then not only made it happen together with your family and had that great experience of sailing and fell in love with it, but then it sort of pulled you even further into, you know, making money out of this lifestyle so that you can continue doing this lifestyle. It wasn't like sailing ended and now you have to go back to your nine to five. No, you've actually, it's like, uh, I don't know if it's the universe, but like you said, those opportunities started coming and naturally you just naturally started, okay, wh- how can I make money? You didn't yeah. really, you didn't really had a plan of becoming a a, no. a writer, right? You <clears> just <throat> wanted to mm-hmm. figure out a way to continue. So what I'm trying to say, the point I'm trying to get across is sometimes when you really want to uh, make something happen, you will find a way. You will. You lean into your passion and step out of your comfort zone because that's where the good stuff happens. And I remember when I started up my Facebook page. <clears throat> excuse me, my husband. He was like, oh, I don't know if I'm really comfortable with this. And he's like, look, you go for it. I don't, I don't really want anything to do with it. I'm like, that's fine. He's just not a, he wasn't into Facebook at the time. He's still not overly. And he's, you know, not a sharer, um, sharer. And I wasn't really either. I wasn't someone that would post about my life regularly on Facebook. But I said to him, I just have a feeling that this is like something I should do. And I, I don't know, <clears throat> I'm pretty intuitive and I, I trust my gut feeling and I think that that's really important to do. But I just had a feeling that starting the Facebook page, which would then lead to writing, which then led to me doing PR would, would be the right thing to do. The same way that I just had a feeling that, you know, going on the trip would be the right thing to do. And now, now that we're back, we have a similar feeling in that it's, you know, once we, when we first got back here, it was, um, 
quite hard because you've got, you're almost like you're living a double life. You know, we've mm. got one foot in the boat life and one foot on land life. And we're trying to fit back in with our friends in land life and our family and doing all the regular things back here. But our hearts like tugging us and saying, we want to be back on the boat, but you can't really express that to people because then it's almost judging the way they're living. And we certainly don't want to be to judge other people's way of life because you know, if everything like whatever's right for you, it's like everyone's different. And for us, we kind of were at crossroads because my, my son will be going to high school the year after next. And we started kind of doing the school tours and booking him into a school and kind of really questioning <clears throat> ourselves and going, you know, maybe we're doing our kids a disservice taking them away from these high schools. Like, you know, I don't know if you've been to a high school lately, but they're crazy. They're so much more advanced than when we went to school. And one of the schools we toured was, you know, having a lesson using virtual reality goggles and their their tech room has just got the most high tech uh, equipment. It's like a full on workshop. And we were just like, we can't compete with this. We can't offer our kids uh, education as good as this. And that was more back at the start of being back in in Adelaide. <clears throat> and as time kind of went on, we just started feeling like it just doesn't feel right for us. And so that's when we made the decision that we are going to go back to our boat and whatever happens, happens. We're not going to say how long we're going for because we honestly don't know. We'll go for as long as it's fun. And as long as we feel like it's the right thing to do, but yeah, it all comes down to that feeling of just, I just feel like we we are going to do the right thing by our kids by going back. And it's a risk. And a lot of people will think that we're not and people have different opinions, mm. but I think that giving them that experience will make them out to be awesome people with that will hopefully dream, dream big. And yeah, they might not have got the private school education, but, hopefully we're, we're going to give them something else. So you kind of just have to do you, do what's right for you. And if you feel like something is going to work out, then it probably will combine that with a, a lot of research because we're not, like I said before, we do a lot of research and we put a lot of effort and thought into things. We're not spare of the moment people, even though sometimes we wish we were, sometimes it annoys us and goes, Oh, I wish we'd just sell our house, you know, without thinking about it. But we keep reminding ourselves like we've got this far by doing everything calculated and sensible and we'll just keep doing what we are. That's not to say that we're not going to sell our house. We're certainly considering that at the moment. Uh, And I know that people would be like, well, that's crazy. Why would you sell your house? That's, you know, such a good investment. But the way that we kind of reason it is that if we were to sell our house, it's not because, we think that it's going to make us less financially secure. We actually think by freeing ourselves of our house, it'll open up other opportunities and maybe we'll be able to invest in, I mean, we've always joked about, you know, a castle in France or a Airbnb in, you know, Greece or, you know, run a hotel. We don't certainly don't have that much money. <laughs> we are very average and have a very average amount of money in our house, but different opportunities arise And we know that by going out on the boat and being free, we will come across something. And I know that my business is going to be successful because I love it and I'm passionate about it. And combined with that, I'm hoping that we will do better than if we had have kept our house. And I think that that's, again, something that we have to be okay with and know that other people are not necessarily going to agree. But 
you can't let other people's kind of opinions or expectations or society's expectations stop you from doing something if you feel like what you're doing is the right thing. Well, we only live one life and you got to live in the way that you, when you're on the deathbed, you look bad. You don't have any regrets that you really went for it and lift your life to, to your desire to, to really fulfill those passions. So it sounds like you're on the right path. It sounds like, you know, with your business, I think it's doable. Your business is like not really depending on location, is it? You can, no. you can just run it from your laptop <laughs> anywhere exactly. as long as you got an internet connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, on that point, what do you what do you deal with? How do you deal with that? You have like a satellite internet connection on the boat or something like that? No, but I mean, besides those three weeks when we we're crossing the Atlantic Ocean, we have in, we have internet everywhere. Internet's like worldwide now, and it was almost like we're living on a water waterfront apartment albeit a very small one <laughs> that wasn't luxurious but we're only ever a couple of hundred meters offshore so uh, I would just buy a sim card everywhere we went uh, and then hotspot it to my computer it's not ideal it's it can be a pain at times but I think when we go back we're going to head towards Europe which where I expect the internet will be even better so we will yeah, you make it work. There's usually internet everywhere. And then I quite often I would go to cafes and work and there would obviously be Wi-Fi everywhere. So, yeah, internet wasn't really a problem and I think it's only going to keep improving. Yeah. Now, let's <laughs> talk about your business a little bit as well, just mm-hmm. to finalise this, because there's also a power of delegation. And I know that at the beginning you said to me that you also outsource people. So at those times, you know, mm-hmm. like when, you, when you're, you know, low on internet or you know, you're doing certain things that you can, but I would imagine you know, certain other things might be more production heavy, like maybe editing videos and things like that. And that's something you can outsource, right? Yeah, exactly. So I have a person that I use to edit our videos. I've got a virtual assistant. We're kind of like worldwide. So my virtual assistants in the Philippines and my video editing guys in South Africa. And then I have other people that help me with freelance writing, copywriting, and they're in America and one's in Australia. So got people all over the world and together we make up this really cool team and they're all also like boat related people so people that understand the lifestyle and understand the um, challenges that my clients face so yeah that's really been really nice to be able to find people like that to be able to help me in my business but as for like the PR side of things I I keep all of that kind of in-house and Mm -hmm. That's kind of my jam and now what I what I love doing. Now for somebody interested in, you know, getting in touch with you to get in some PR, what can they expect when it comes to, you know, like ROI, like return on investment on having some sort of a campaign being done, maybe getting into a, a newspaper or media? Yeah. So I know that's a really hard thing with public relations. A lot of people actually don't even understand what public relations is. So brief briefly it's what other people say about you so advertising is what you say about yourself obviously you you write the ad or you you talk about what you want to be in an ad and you place it in the magazines that you want to be in and you pay you know you know up front what it's going to cost usually thousands of dollars whereas public relations is what other people say about you so I pitch your story to various magazines and newspapers and podcasts and even influencers these days like they're part of a public relations campaign now as well and 
they write a story about you. So they might interview you or they'll look at all of your, your videos or your books or whatever and come up with a story and you can't really control what they're going to say about you. And so when it's published, it's very credible because you haven't told them what to write about you. And so if they say really great things about you, then people are going to listen and it's almost like a review, you know, when we're booking, Mm. I don't know about you, but if I'm ever booking an Airbnb, I'm going to like troll those reviews because I want to get the absolute best place I can get the least amount of money. (laughs) And it's, it's similar. People trust PR. And when you said about return on investment, so for example, I got my clients in, in insider and that's like, six million people uh they've been on cnn this week this month they were on a a website called baby gaga uh, and that's the beauty of it you can reach audiences that you wouldn't normally reach because you wouldn't normally think to advertise in a baby and parenting magazine but um, my clients for example have a baby on board and so i was able to use that angle to get a story about living on a boat with a baby in a parenting magazine which also reaches 6 million people a month. So an ad, if you were to get an ad on Insider or on um, a website that reaches that many people, you would be looking at, it's crazy, but probably around $500,000 for a one-page ad, whereas they're getting this story, a feature story, which often goes over a couple of pages written about them with photos and links to their website and their YouTube channel and they're getting that for the price of my retainer, which is a lot, lot, lot less than $500,000. So it's an affordable way of advertising in a way and it's more credible and more trustworthy and it's a great way to reach a lot more people and to reach new audiences so then you can build your followers, you can build your credibility in your niche, your authority in your niche. You become like a trusted expert and people listen to you. And one thing that we can't be measured on is revenue and that's a standard in PR, but it's usually a positive side effect of, you know, your, your revenue is going to increase if more people know about you and your product and, and so, yeah, there's lots of benefits to PR. I know, oh, I hope I don't get this wrong, but I think it was Bill Gates said that if he had $2 left, only $2, he would spend $1 of it on PR because it's just so important to, to, to get people to talk about you and know of you and to build that trust. And like you said, Erin, some small business owners might, certainly from my experience, might think that that it's not a, like I said, something that you can't really put a put a return on. And so sometimes they, they're really hard to pitch this idea to. And it almost seems like sometimes like small mindset to, to think about PR as something that they should be doing because mm. uh, there's not enough return. They would rather spend a Facebook ad because they can clearly see how many leads they got. But, yeah. um, but the value is in the the exposure that PR can give you. and Yeah, absolutely. It's a branding exercise too. If you've got a personal brand or, or your company brand, you're strengthening the position of that brand and awareness in marketplace. So. Absolutely, yeah. And I do a monthly wrap-up. So at the end of each month, I'll send a report to my clients to let them know, you know, how many impressions we had that month, how many people we reached. 
And I think yesterday I did my monthly wrap up for one of my clients and the impressions were ridiculous. It was like 159 million or something crazy because I'd got them in two of the, oh, they, got, they were on Yahoo Life. And if you look at Yahoo Life, it's like 159 million people. I don't know <laughs> if that's true or not, but that's what it said. I've got a database that uh, tells me how many people the, each publication reaches each month and I mean, I know that it's a huge one, so quite likely it is true. And then combine that with the Baby Gaga one that I had and then I got them on a few podcasts and a couple of smaller newspaper articles. It was like over 160 million people that they had reached that month. I mean, tell me how many Facebook ads would you have to do to to reach that many people? Mm. So, yeah, it's, it's really it's an exciting way, especially when you are a client of mine waiting for that phone call or that that you know email that i'll send saying hey we got you on this magazine and i know that yeah my clients get really excited and then waiting for their article to come out and seeing yourself in a newspaper or on a magazine or on a on a really reputable website it's ex- exciting and you really feel like you're you're um, building your business and then you've got those clips and that's the best part and those logos to then display on your website yeah and continue it, yeah using really, that for your credibility so mm-hmm. you can then share it on social media and so there's so many things that you can then do to leverage those results which then keep building on itself and like press is really cumulative as well it builds on itself so you know you start getting one and then it it kind of snowballs and eventually you, before you know it you're you know, like insider wants you and then daily mail picks you up and the Huffington post. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool that way as well. Mm. And I guess the other indicator that uh, uh, you could see is as a return, not just the impressions, but if you, if you've just been publishing a big, you know, uh, big outlet, like you said, maybe Yahoo life with has millions of impressions, you might be able to then see it in, in like a spike in your subscriber growth and your social media channels, or, or maybe, you know, increase in sales for that period of time, things like that, right? So while you can't directly exactly. attribute and say clearly mm-hmm. it's, it's because of that, you can't really, like, prove it or link it with numbers to specific customers, although you can because you can ask them. Mm. Um, but nevertheless, it's very, very powerful. It is. It certainly is. And there are things that you can set up, and I'm not real tech-minded, so I don't know this is something my clients do, but you can tell if people have come from certain websites so you can measure how many click throughs you get and that type of thing as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Erin, it's been amazing having you on the show and we've covered so much and I'm sure we could go a bit more in depth and talk about PR and, and you know, your business and what you do now and the successes that you've had. But for the sake of the show, I also like to keep it to an hour. So (laughs) how about we look at maybe, tackling another another episode in a few months time so we can follow up on on that everything that you said today was very inspirational and i hope that you guys listening are getting a lot of value out of this episode and and if you're thinking about either starting a, a new lifestyle and living on the boat you can you know visit erin's website which is called romegeneration.com forward slash my dash story where erin has her story in a bit more depth about how she started with that selling experience also, if you're a business owner, uh, a personal brand, speaker, coach, 
anybody or adventure or specifically to your niche, I guess I should say, adventure, somebody who loves to travel and is, you know, building that personal brand or has that personal brand and wants to get some PR done, then definitely get in touch with Erin as well. Now we've been able to secure a little deal for you guys, for the listeners of this podcast. What is it again, Erin? Just to, I don't want to make sure I can say yeah. it right. So I normally work on a six month retainer, you know, that's not set in stone. So if you're not comfortable with that, we can certainly negotiate. But for the first three months of that retainer, I want to offer um, your listeners 20% off. So after the three months, it will revert to the the normal price. But Mm -hmm. for the first three months, uh, yeah, 20% off my retainer price. For the PR services. Yeah, for PR. Yeah. That's excellent. Yeah. Now, other than your website, which I've mentioned, romegeneration.com, mm-hmm. how else can people reach out to you, Erin? Yeah, sure. So my email is admin at romegeneration.com and then Instagram and Facebook, my handle is also romegeneration. So pretty much just Google Rome Generation and it'll come up. Yeah. Consistent branding. So important, guys, if you guys are listening as well, important to have that consistent brand name and in your what do you call it a tagline not tagline the your, your username in your across your social media channels lock that yeah. in it was definitely very important to me everything i came up with was not available and i'm like oh, i don't want any weird like uh, you know dot net or whatever so yeah but fun fact was actually the name of our is the name of our boat so that's where rome came from and that word is just really important to me and it means a lot because you know of traveling and it was actually like a, a theme song for one of our trips 20 years ago or something. So yeah, Rome is the name of our boat and that's how I came up with the um, Rome Generation. That's my business name. So it's not just some name. It's no. really, there's a emotional attachment. There's a story behind it. I love it. Yeah. yeah. I love it. <laughs> Excellent. Erin, thank you again for being on the show today. It was great talking to you, getting to know a bit more about your story and, and what you do. You have a great rest of your day and yeah. I look forward to hear from, from you soon about you know your upcoming adventures. I'd like to you know look at maybe following up and yeah, have another conversation in a few months' time. Yeah, that would be great. Thank you so much for having me, Vic, and enjoy your Saturday. It's nice and sunny here, so I think I'm going to go for a walk. Nice. Awesome. We'll do that. All right. See ya. Thanks. Bye.